0: is proud to present beer radio that turns ordinary homebrew home into award-winning beer. beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zaynashef and John say.
1: Good morning, my brewing brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, the microphones being on would really be a great thing at this time. It's, it's my bad. I unplugged them before we got here. Smart move. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> it's all that heavy drinking from the Sunday show. I think uh, we're all lagging a little bit. Those Belgians were quite tasty, but they pack a punch. So today we're talking about American Pale Ales. Nice. A whole hour worth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's so many different ways of doing American Pale Ales and so many different uh, uh, takes on recipes for them, you know, complex, simple, uh, and there's so many great examples that vary across mm-hmm. the great spectrum. You know, take, for example, uh, Sierra Nevada in the bottle, how dry and bitter and hoppy that is. Take, for example, uh, Mirror Pond, one of my favorites. That's a more malty, softer, uh uh gently more gently hopped american pale ale is it more english style uh you know there's there's the english pale ale which is um you know considerably different american pale ale is its own style right and you know it, there's a range like any any of the styles there's a range that goes from uh you know one end to the other you know i if you know there's a lot of people that started with sierra nevada as one of their uh favorite uh, beers and that got them into home brewing and mm-hmm. craft brew and all that. And then there's a, a crowd of people that came later on that, uh, when uh, craft brew was already going, and they don't care for Sierra Nevada in the bottle. It's too dry, too bitter, whatever. And they mm-hmm. like some of the more recent pale ales that come out from you know Firestone or right. from you know name name your favorite place. And uh, just about everybody brews one. Well. I went up to Sierra Nevada for the Sierra Nevada Homebrew of the Year thing. They let you brew and they buy you lunch and all this. Have you I'm, been there twice? Uh yeah, and um and I I went up there. Yeah. And my knowledge of Sierra Nevada as well. And, mo- and most people think Sierra Nevada makes like Six different types of beer. If you're really into Sierra Nevada, you'll say, you know, they make the pale ale, they make the celebration, they make, uh, you know, their stout, their wheat. Their, They've got a bock too. Right. That's really good. Uh, and and you can name off, you know, the the people who are real geeky about Sierra Nevada can name off like, you know, six of them or right. or so. And the people who aren't, they can name off like pale ale, you know. And Bigfoot. And in yeah. Bigfoot, yeah. but you go up to that up to the brewery. And a couple of things really struck me about that. One is um, they're totally into brewing and figuring out new things about brewing and and into the science and into the geeky homebrew aspect almost of it still.
2: That's refreshing. They're they're,
1: they're great. I I love those guys up there. And the other thing was you go into the brew pub, which is beautiful and great food, and you ask for a sampler, (laughs) you get like 18 different beers. What? So most of what they, they make... A lot, A lot of what they make they don't uh, sell it outside the brew pub, oh, and they, don't, they don't bottle it really they, they they've taken their old uh, initial brewing system mm-hmm. and that's making all these short run uh, craft different craft beers and they just have all these different styles and, and then they have their main brew system that's cranking out the pail and right. all the wheats, all these things that they need to keep a big uh, industrial sized supply of yeah. but if you ever get a chance if you're ever in Chico, California. It is one of the fantastic stops, and you you wouldn't think so from the outside, but once you get there, well worth the trip. And one of the things they have that you and I were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. was they have their bottled version, and they have their, what they call the Sierra Nevada draft version. And why do they do that? It's a somewhat different beer. It's uh, more along the lines of a mirror pond. It's softer, maltier. The draft version or the bottled? The draft version. Okay. So they have the bottled version on draft, okay. the the original Sierra Nevada, right? And then they've got this new draft version, which is only served on draft, and it's uh you know softer, maltier, and more balanced than the uh, original Sierra Nevada okay. pale ale. Now, is the bottled version drier than the draft version? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Huh. And and I think a lot of that has to do with uh you know they're they're they're. Is that like marketing? Is it just because you can move more or no, I, people drink I think, more? Or? I think that's how it turned out originally. And huh. you know, they're very they're very consistent and very interested in producing uh a consistent product exactly, you know, the way and they're very uh spec conscious and very uh uh in tune with what they're producing. And you know they're not about marketing if you okay. talk to them about marketing right. they go well we don't have any marketing we don't have any marketing people they they make beer some speech. stuff and they take yeah. out a tiny little ad to help support the you know, the magazines it. but it's more it's, word of mouth yeah, yeah huh. you know they, they don't have a marketing person which is really kind of cool
2: now do they they distribute all their beers nationally and globally I, I assume right you can get Sierra Nevada but that that only brewery is from Chico though so they brew in one right, place right huh. and your beer uh, holds up
1: pretty well in the bottle then yeah I, I you know there's a lot of great things to say about Sierra Nevada. What was their brew system like? Is it, I hear it's like copper plaid Or well, they have, uh, yeah, everything's copper clad because nice. it, it, you know, looks nicer. But yeah. the the old brew system, and then you know, it's got the old little German valves, that, the little wheels you turn. And, oh, cool! And then they've got their more modern system where you push the button on the computer and you know the valves close. And That'd be nice. I was kind of, <laughs> I was interested to to I spend a day brewing with them and tossing hops in and things like that. Did you brew I, with Ken? Uh or no, well else? Ken Ken was there okay. and I talked to Ken but he's not pushing he's the buttons as so right. much anymore. Right. But uh they you know they'll push a button on the computer and then uh you know that closes this valve in some other part of the building and then the brewer says, Okay, so we push that button to close that valve. Now we go, you know, walk over there to, to make sure it actually did it. Wow. And and that was your brew day. I thought that was, no. know, no. <laughs> yeah, they, they did a lot of things. They, they have a sensory lab. They have mm. their hop room. They have a bunch of really cool stuff there. But what was funny was you've got all this expensive equipment that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, will do all this for you. But the guy didn't trust it enough to, you <laughs> wow. had, had to actually walk there and go, yep, valve's open. I don't blame you Yeah, you're dealing with uh, a lot of expensive uh, yeah. goods if if that valve doesn't open, oh, yeah. or you know, and that's how you know things go wrong. You do want to break that, exactly. Do you know if they bottle con- condition their beer? They do. They they actually uh, filter filter out everything, okay. and then uh, they add back a very precise, very slight, measured dose of yeast back, okay, and. That's why you get that really fine dusting of yeast across the bottom right. of the Sierra Nevada bottles because it's very controlled and and very precise. So they so they, they
2: do leave some residual sugar behind then. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So they're they they've got a you know a very precise uh, system of this.
2: Is it the same batch that they brew for the draft version and the bottle beer, or do they do two different batches?
1: Those are two different batches. Oh wow.
2: Yeah. Wow, they mastered that.
1: Right. Huh. And. Um, it it it's really a great place. If you get a if you get a chance, you should go. If you're listening and you want to call in, uh it's uh one eight 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 four oh one beer or uh click the chat now button on the uh main page and you can join in with the other brewers listening in and ask questions. Hmm. We'll have a question and answer session at the end, but you know, feel free to call if uh, something comes up. And we have Secretary Justin to answer. Exactly. Justin will handle the, the phones and, and the
2: chat. Here you're a good
1: secretary, too, Jay. You. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so so pale ale, uh, I think just about every home brewer ends up trying a pale ale. It's one of the very first beers you get to try, usually. Well, we always recommend a B3, you know, start out with a pale ale. Right. Know, but it's really hard to do well. Exactly. Every every brews one, and most people have tasted them. Pale ale, uh, let's describe it for people. It's, uh, the aroma is gonna generally be hoppy. You're mm-hmm. gonna, you're gonna smell some floral or citrus, especially in American right. or West Coast, you're gonna get the citrusy, hoppy, floral notes in there. Right. And they should, they should, there should be some. And it can range from, you know, low to pretty, pretty high and mm-hmm. intense. Uh, the other characteristics in there, generally, uh, the fruity ester is, is fairly clean. The, the, the yeast profile in the aroma is fairly clean, but you can get some fruity esters in there. You can use an English ale yeast, or you can use different yeasts. The bulk of people will use something really clean like a California ale yeast, right. so you won't have a lot of fruity esters in there. You won't have uh, any alcohol or anything or any roast. You might get a, like a slightly sweet uh, note from the malt or the caramel in mm-hmm. there. As far as the, the flavor goes... You're gonna get mainly a clean uh, malt, maybe a little bit of biscuit, maybe a, a slight crystal in there. You don't want it too sweet, too crystally. You don't want you know it's a a fairly clean beer, and then you know hot flavor. There should be some hot flavor in there. Where does the biscuit come from? Well, it can come from from the various like malts. Like crystal malt, or now, uh, the, and there's there's a couple of ways to do it. It depends on what you're trying to brew. If you're trying to brew a Sierra Nevada, where there's uh, you know not a lot of malt character in there, it's right. really really clean and 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 uh, uh, simple. Mm-hmm. You're going to use something like an American two row, and then if you want something more like a Mirror Pond, you might use an English pale ale or okay. something like that that gives you a little more uh, malty background. Right. <laughs> As far as, uh, you know, hot bitterness goes, it's going to be pretty firmly bitter. You're going to have a a nice, bold bitterness. It can be balanced, but it should be balanced to the side of bitter.
2: It's not going to be overly bitter, though. I mean... Well,
1: and again, there's a range. Right. You can have some that are pretty firmly bitter. Okay. And you can have some that are pretty close to neutral. Mm Mm-hmm. But... There's generally a, a good hop presence there all it, the way throughout. Is this style m- mostly late hop additions? I mean, well, that's I mean, a good way to do it. Uh, in the past, most people would do, you know, sixty minute bittering and yeah. then they do like a, you know, like we were all taught, a, a twenty minute and a mm-hmm. one minute or whatever, right. and maybe some dry hopping. But you know that late hopping technique we had talked about. Mm-hmm. This is a, a good style for that. Right. You can move a lot of your bittering and your uh, other uh, hop additions, move them all into like the last 20 to 10 minutes mm-hmm. and put them all in there and you get a much bigger, bolder flavor and aroma and a softer bittering. Are
2: you going for more of a flavor from the hops or a slight bitterness or with a lot of aroma? I mean, wouldn't you want to be conservative with your bittering hop? Like maybe a half ounce for five gallons.
1: Well, it depends on how how much alpha acid are in those hops, okay, right? right? So
2: us well, say Magnum.
1: Yeah, you know, you you want to in in most recipes you're going to shoot between thirty and forty IBUs. Hmm. You know, like thirty five IBUs. It's a it's a bittering gravity ratio of point seventy to point ninety. Uh, you know, if you read uh, Ray Daniels' book, uh, he talks about this bittering. Uh, Gravity ratio, which is really a, a great way to look at bittering, uh, beers and when you're creating your own recipe. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to, to make that work. The mouthfeel on a, on an American Pale Ale can be from dry to, uh, quite, uh, luscious. Now, it's not going to be big and cloying and sweet or, you know, huge and heavy in the mouthfeel. You want something that you can drink, uh, you know, a fair amount of. And if it gets too too cloying or too much body, mm-hmm. it's hard. It gets harder to drink a lot of them. So you, you keep it in the you know it's low, a low beer, medium. Right? Yeah, it's kind of an American version of a session beer, okay. right? Higher alcohol, more body, more hops. Right. Well, what's it's the, what's it's an American volume? version of you know English pale ale. Okay. What's the alcohol volume on this usually? Well, what it's going to range, and I've seen some you know down as low as uh, you know in the in the fours and up to uh, almost seven. Wow. You know, it's like an IPA. Uh, yeah. Once you're getting up there, you might as well call it an IPA. Or, <laughs> uh, but in oh. the you know in the in the five to six range hmm. for a lot of them.
2: A lot of homebrewers I've been talking to have been experimenting with like Amarillo mm-hmm. and Columbus. Yeah, like, all the way yeah. through. I if, what do you right.
1: think? Right. Oh, th- I think those are great. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity with American Pale Ale mm-hmm. to experiment with your different hop characteristics and, and, and find a blend and a combination that you really like. Mm-hmm. And, and and once you get that, uh you're you're and it's and it's a great place to to begin your experiments mm-hmm. as well. Because almost any hop, as long as you've got uh, flavor and aroma in there, it right. tastes
0: good. Of you course, know, hops they're... taste
1: good <laughs> <laughs> and you know, American pale ale you can, you know, hops are expected, and you can get a nice blend, and and that's what a lot of the brew pubs are doing. They're they're, you know, experimenting with those blends of of flavor. Uh, you know, the getting back to the kind of description of it, mm-hmm. you know, the appearance will be uh, a, a very light uh, golden, almost uh, copper. Yeah, once you, when you get to into the copper, you might be getting a little too dark for okay. most of them, but yeah, you can range in there. And usually, if you're getting to a dark copper, you've added too much crystal malt a right. lot of times. So it's, it's, uh, you know, in that, in that range of, of SRM from, oh, you know, 4 to 11. Hmm. So yeah, it can get fairly darkish, but, uh, you know, I think that, that tends to mean you're adding maybe a little too much crystal and too much dark crystal. What type of crystal? Would you use? Generally, the lighter crystals, forty and below. Okay. Uh, as far as carbonation goes, you want these American, the standard American beers get carbonated to you know two two and a half volumes around in there, mm. and this is something that you know the the standard instructions with a kit for carbonating you know and the amount of priming sugar they pretty much. It's meant for this style of beer, okay. so whatever you get from your homebrew shop, so that's fine. Just go with it. It's, it's fairly high, highly carbonated, but uh, you know, if you if you back off on the carbonation a little, you're going to get kind of a, 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 a creamier, easier to drink beer. So if you're shooting for something more like a Mirror Pond. Mm-hmm uh that is going to require a little less carbonation if you're shooting for something uh dry and more spritzy like a bottled Sierra Nevada pale ale you want a little more carbonation and so that, that contributes to the to some there. bitterness
2: too to the beer yeah
1: and uh, uh, in the overall finish and you know how how it sits on the tongue mm-hmm. and carbonation is a very important part right. of beers and the styles of beers and and how they how they they come across once when you're drinking them. If you have a kegging system, it's really nice because you can you know turn, dial it to a certain point. Say, right. oh yeah, this is this is nice, or you know you and it'll keep gaining gas until it uh, reaches the equilibrium. Yeah. And you'll see if you take a pint each day and just turn on the gas and wait, and you'll start out. It'll be a little too low, and then it's like, oh, this is the greatest beer in the world. And then you know in a couple of days you'll drink it, and go, what the hell happened to yeah. my beer? It's horrible. Uh, it's harsh. Yeah. It's 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 you know dry. It's bitter. It's yeah, it's too, too much too carbonation, much, right? so you back off. It's a good experiment for any brewer. You know, mm. something something to try if you haven't tried it before. Mm. You know, see how carbonation affects uh beer that you like. And 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 sometimes if you've brewed a beer and you don't like the way it's turned out and there's something you're not really sure what it is, you know, try dialing the carbonation down or up and see how the beer changes and it yeah. it can be a totally different beer. I could I could produce two beers you know, from from the same keg and say, you know, oh, yeah, these are two different beers. You drink them and you go, wow. yeah, they're totally different. So that's, that's your just carbonation. You just gave away your secret. No, I don't really do that. But okay, I'm just <laughs> I'm saying you know, that's that's the way you know you could you could have two totally yeah. different beers, and it's it's not like two really good beers. It's yeah. one's crappy and one's better. Be better. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you just need to find that magical zone for carbonation. And it differs for each person. Right. You know, everybody's palate's different. So right. feel free to experiment with that as well. Hmm. So overall uh you know, American Pale Ale is going to be, you know, an enjoyable session beer. It's, it's, uh, history is, you know, looking at English Pale Ale and then the kind of making, making our own American impression on that. Right. So less crystally, uh, more hoppy, a little bit stronger. And that's, uh, that's how American Pale Ale came to be. Alright. After the break, we're going to get into the recipe and the process of brewing American Pale Ales. Remember, if you're if you're listening, one eight 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 four zero one beer. You can call in, or press the chat now button and join us in the chat room.
0: This is the Jameel Show.
1: All right, welcome back. We're talking about American Pale Ales. If you're standing by the phone, call in one 401 beer or press the Chat Now button on the website and join in with the other brewers in the chat room. All right. Now we're going to get into the recipe. Yeah. How to brew one of these bad boys. There's a couple of takes on the recipe. You can start out as simple and, and uh, direct as going with Two row American two-row malt, and some hops, some yeast. And that's it. And that's it. That would be very pale. Uh, fairly pale, yeah. and it will make a, a, a nice uh, American pale ale. Hmm. The majority of homebrewers like to uh, color it up. They like to add some Munich malt, hmm. some crystal malt. Uh, you know, adds a little more roundness and character and a little more color and a little more sweetness that'll handle a little more hops. Hmm. If you're gonna go the simple route, you're not gonna be able to put as many, uh, hops in there. You're not, you're gonna start to lose your balance. Right. So, uh, a, a lot of homebrewers, uh, will do, uh, you know, the pale two-row. They might do like, uh, 20% Munich, 5% Crystal 40, and you know something like that, is and, that and some hops. Is
2: the Munich malt going to add like a slight biscuit edge
1: to it at all? Maybe a grainy flavor. Yeah, Munich Munich has its its own bready kind of flavor. Hmm. Well,
2: that that'll kind of help. That'll round out the sweetness a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, and and adds another dimension. Uh, one of the other things you can do is go with uh, a uh, English pale malt. Hmm. So do that in there. if you're doing an extract brew. You would go with, uh, you could go with something like an ultralight extract like an Alexander's mm-hmm. or a Breeze or something like that. And that's fine. Or if you want to get a little more rounded in the, in the malt character, get more like, uh, you know, a mirror pond, you're going to go with something that like the English ale, uh, English pale, uh, malts. Mm-hmm. And they have an extract for that too. So there's a couple of ways you can, you can go as far as that, depending on which direction you want to go. More like a Sierra Nevada bottle, more like a Mirror Pond or some of the other uh, uh, beers. Uh, you know, Stone is kind of in between there. Well, this style is so hard to do
2: well and balanced that you'd, you'd almost think you'd recommend starting off doing it to just simplify it, like one base hop and one hop. Yeah, that's and a, that's a very,
1: good, you know, I mean, very good point, John. And then add later, you know, right. and get creative. But exactly. Start out with something simpler. Yeah. And as you as you as you build your own, you know, it's kind of saying, okay, well now now I understand what that tastes like. Mm-hmm. I need this to be a little sweeter. I need this to be, you know, I I want another dimension in the malt character. Right. And there's a danger of adding too many things and ending up with a muddy tasting beer, kind of not not like dirt, but the characteristics, you know, the malts you can no longer distinguish them. It just right. becomes kind of one sweet malty mass. Yeah. However. Uh, a good friend of mine who he, he can brew a pale ale and get first place with it anywhere right. is Ron Hartman. And his recipe includes pale malt, and uh, you can start with an English or you can start with uh, American Turo, but he uses some Crystal 25, he uses Munich malt, he uses uh, Cara Munich, he uses aromatic, he uses wow. wheat, and he uses uh, uh, carapils. Wow. That's complex, and that's that's quite a bit. Pale. It, it's a great, a great American pale ale, huh. and he'll, he'll brew one up, and he'll throw some in some bottles, enter the state fair, and get first place. You know, it's like no big deal yeah. to him. Now, have you been and working on that a long time? Can you? Yeah, he's dialed that in. It's, you know, one of the beers he's brewed a lot of. And, you know, he's a very smart guy, uh excellent brewer. And he's able to, you know, this is, this is what it's become over the years. And each thing he's told me why he's added that. Hmm. So, for example, you know, he adds a portion of wheat, you know, like uh, 2%. And and for head retention, right? And you know, in, in low amounts of wheat, the wheat won't uh, affect the clarity, mm-hmm. and uh, you get improved head retention. He adds a little dextrin malt to to give it some some mouthfeel and body. I, I prefer to just change the mash temp for that. Okay, but uh, you know, you can also go with the dextrin malt. He uses uh, the aromatic malt to bring out some of the uh, uh, malt characteristics, give it kind of a malty uh, supporting uh, aroma to the uh, hops. That gives you some biscuit flavor, too, doesn't it? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it will. Uh, and the Munich malt, and then uh, the Crystal 25 gives kind of a, a, a background kind of sweetness. The the only thing I find odd is the Munich, because Munich can be, you know, the, the Munich he's using is in the the uh, 75 love range, what? 75 to 80, huh. which is fairly dark. You, you really need to, if you're going to add something like that, you need to be fairly uh, uh, Restrictive on on how much you're going to use. You don't want to use too much because you're going to end up with something that's real caramelly, mm-hmm. overly caramelly, overly dark, and it's it's a little too much. Again, you want a balanced beer that's very drinkable and uh, not not too crystally, not too sweet. But you know, Rhonda's does, does excellent with with that recipe, and I brewed it with them, and yeah, it turns out really nice. Uh, I think for me, what I what I do is kind of a cross between. The simplest and what Ron's doing and I I, uh, adjust that with pale malt go with the uh, some victory Hmm. I like victory because that adds uh, an interesting dimension that you don't find in a lot of others and it has a good flavor I'll use some crystal 20 Hmm. and I'll use some crystal 40 I'll kind of split it up in there and Give me a, a range in there, and then I'll use some Munich malt, and that will turn out uh, quite nice. I uh-huh. like I like that characteristic. That's that's kind of my grain bill. Why do you blend the crystals? You you b- blend the crystals to kind of give you a broader um, crystal flavor. So the the lighter crystals have a different characteristic than the darker crystals, okay. and if you use just one that's fine that's that's another way to go and you can you can pick it out as it's more defined in a certain crystal range mm-hmm. if you add the other you can kind of sp- it's hard to describe but you kind of spread out that crystal a little a little broader <laughs> you know the the flavor starts yeah. and ends in different spots. Huh. Versus, you know it becomes more narrow and and defined by you know how roasty that that crystal has gotten Well are they the same percentage each one or or the same amount
2: I mean what does what your recipe say there
1: Yeah I, I tend to go uh, about four and a half percent. Crystal twenty, four and a half percent, crystal forty. Okay. So I, I split it even. And what about your victory? You could use, you could use a different balance of that. Uh, victory, I, a real light hand. I'll use about half of of what the crystal is. So about two percent. Wow. Okay. Of, hmm. uh, of victory, just just a touch because victory, um, you know, it, it can be intense if you use a little too much. Hmm. And then the Munich malt, uh, again, I'm around four and a half percent, about the same as the crystal. Hmm. And e- you again. You can add these character grains to your pale ale recipe, and you can use other grains, you know, biscuit or special roast or whatever you want. The the trick is to not overdo it. Right. You know, this is this is about the the limit that I go. Okay. And because um, if you add too much, it gets muddy. You start losing the characteristics. It's harder for the hops to come through. Mm-hmm. A variety of things. So
2: most of your specialty grains is like 10% of the bill, and the rest is this base malt, roughly.
1: 10, yeah, 10 to, 10, to, 10 to 20, around okay. in there, and the rest is baseball, yeah.
2: A little different than, like, if you're doing a Marsin or something. You'd probably have more of your specialty grains in it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, balance. Okay. You know? What about your hops? Yeah. For hops, you, you want to go with something that uh, is going to give you, if, if you're going traditional, you're going to want something that's, Citrusy, uh, Cascade, Centennial, Columbus—you uh, know, along those lines. Amarillo. I, I really love Amarillo. It's one of my favorites, mm. and I would use that more now. Mm. But uh, if you're going more traditional, like uh, Sierra Nevada, you're going to want to use Cascade, and you're going to you're going to want to bring that citrus character out. Uh, you use something if you're going with uh, 60 minute bittering additions. Use something that has a clean bittering, or use something that is along the f- citrus family.
2: You're going to use a very conservative amount of bittering hop, though, aren't you? Cause
1: well, again, you know, it depends on what kind of hop you're using, right. and you're going to want to target a, an IBU range of oh, between you know 25 and 40, you know, 30 to 40 around in there. Your your bittering to gravity ratio. So you have like a 1050 beer. Uh, your your bittering ratio is going to be 0.7 to 0.9 of that 1050 of that 50 number. Okay. So uh, for example, in a pale ale that is you know 1055, you would have you know a bittering or you know or, well 100 would be. 90 so 50 would be like 45 down to uh you know 35 range for a 1050 beer. I don't even follow you. you know? <laughs> All right, so you read Ray Daniel's book and he oh, explains that, that. Uh, it's an excellent book especially if you want to make your own recipes. That's how I got started and it really is wonderful and it and it gives you a lot of tools to understand mm-hmm. how the recipes come together and what you're what you're doing and that bittering the gravity ratio is great because you can you can take a, a a beer and you can scale it you know, and you say well you know I want the beer to be bigger and you can bring it up and you can understand how many you can keep that same ratio and and dial up your IBUs to go exactly with it or you know down or up so 1035 is a good starting point with a 1050 beer so you're going to go with a 10 1050 original gravity and about 35 IBUs maybe a little less maybe a little bit more it depends on your your taste and how many character grains you put in there. More character grains, more sweetness, you're gonna need more bittering. Mm. So again, if you want to do the late hop thing, you can move all these to twenty minutes, ten minutes, and just obliterating, you can get a lot of hop flavor, a lot of hop aroma, and it'll last a long time. If you're if you're trying to enter something in a competition months down the road, that's one of the ways to, mm. to keep it live for a long time, get that aroma and flavor in there. Are you gonna get much bitterness from the late hop edition at all? Well, you get about uh, if you if you're getting thirty percent at uh, sixty minutes, mm-hmm. you're gonna at, at ten minutes you're getting about fifteen uh, percent. Okay. So you're getting about half as much. I mean you're still getting quite a bit. Right. It's not a direct linear equation. So you're not getting one sixth at ten minutes. You're getting about half of what you get at sixty minutes. Okay. So the the computer programs out the ProMash, and and some of the spreadsheets uh, will help you help you calculate that out. Hmm. Um, if you're also, uh, equipped with a hop-back or something like that, you can do a uh, hop-back or uh, whirlpool additions. Is that just for aroma? Or? Yeah, it gives you more aroma, a little bit of flavor as well. If you're uh, into it, you can dry hop a, an APA. And, uh, do you
2: recommend that because of some grassy flavors that might be contributed at all? Well, Or the amount, I guess, would uh, determine see, that? Uh,
1: some people talk about grassy like it's a negative, mm-hmm. and it just depends on the style of beer and how everything balances out. Right. I enjoy beers with uh, a grassy flavor sometimes. Okay. I I you know I I see that as just part of the palate. It's like eating uh, you know cooked vegetables all the time. Well, sometimes eating a raw vegetable tastes completely different and it's nice. Right. And you and you like that uh you know that that difference between them. Okay. You know it may not be for every meal that you have, but sometimes you want that, sometimes you don't. Hmm. The same thing goes for like wet hop beers. So Sierra Nevada does their harvest ale and all that, and they, they a few, uh, I know Russian River's doing uh some and a couple of places do mm-hmm. them. And uh, wet hop beer has a completely different uh, characteristic, and that tends to be more vegetal and, right. and grassy even than, than dry hopping. Yeah. Dry That's hopping, to me, tends to be a little more resiny. Mm-hmm. You tend to get a little more of that cloying, uh, alpha resin type of. Type of taste, but it can be, it can, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can, it depends on the balance, right? the brewery. you really need to experiment with American pale ales, and I'll, I'll post a, a recipe that works well for me and my system and that I like, and, and you know, use that as a starting point and adjust it and say, yeah, you know, that, that turned out too sweet or that turned out too bitter or that was too hoppy or not hoppy enough. The, the trick is, and hopefully what everybody's taken away from these shows is that you're understanding the components that go into the beer and how they affect it and you'll be able to adjust them yourselves after hearing this you say okay well you know i can move the hops later and and get more hop flavor and more hop aroma or i can you know back off on this or i can change that to and their own understand taste. yeah exactly yeah. and make the beer you like and that's mm-hmm. you know that's what home brewing is all about of course what about your yeast yeast i go with uh personally california ale yeast that's clean, you know. Isn't that uh, the Chico ten, yeast strain? Ten, Chico, yeah. Ten, or, 1056 at uh, y Yeast or uh, 001 at White Labs, hmm. or uh, the uh, uh, there's a dry yeast, a US56, which is actually right. pretty pretty it darn good. good. If you if you don't have the ability to do starters, uh, you know that dry yeast is pretty darn good. I, it attenuates a little a little bit more than uh, the 01 or the 1056 and I get a slight peach yeah, it is. Uh, ester from it, yeah. but it's slight, and it really it will, it will go well with all the hops and stuff. If you're making a really clean beer with no other characteristics to it, you might pick it up. But as far as the um, you know hoppy beer or a, a flavorful beer like this, don't worry about it. You know, Go ahead and use the dry yeast. It's fine. What about Pond? What type of yeast would they use? Uh that that seems like a real clean beer as well. I it's imagine they're they're using something like okay. that. Uh yeah, you know, some breweries uh, get a fairly clean profile with uh English ale yeast mm. like uh E J Fair they use uh, the English ale yeast. If you use it cold enough. Yeah, Jim Rossi,
2: well known home brewery, he uses English ale on hal- Yeah, ale, and right? and it'll,
1: it'll come out pretty pretty it's darn, pretty darn pretty clean. Well with it. Yeah. yeah. So. And sometimes a little bit of that ester character is nice and it, mm. and one of the things about the English ale yeast versus the California ale yeast is it's gonna attenuate less. So you're gonna have more residual sugar, and it's gonna be a slightly sweeter beer, so you're gonna to need to either increase the hops or whatever. If you, so, when you look at a recipe like the recipe I'll give, it's designed for the California ale yeast. And if, if you change that to an English ale yeast, one of the things when you, you're you picking your yeasts, and you see a recipe and you go, well, you know, I, I, I see this question all the time. I want to do that recipe, but I don't have that yeast. You know, can I just use this yeast or that yeast? And the answer is, yeah, you can use any yeast you want. You could use a Belgian strain in this. You could use, you know, a lager strain. You can use whatever you have on hand. The thing is, you need to understand uh, in the, a couple of things. One is the fermentation temperature range. So you get the esters the way you want it. Don't go really hot with, you know, something other than a Belgian strain. And the amount of attenuation you're going to get, the amount of sugars it's going to leave behind. If it leaves too much sugar behind, you're going to need to adjust your hops. You say, okay, yeah, I'll use the English ale yeast, but it's going to attenuate about, you know, 5% less. I need to increase my hops, my bitterness a little bit. Let me get, let me get another, you know, three or four IBUs in there Mm -hmm. to kind of balance that out. You know, I'm anticipating a change from Jamel's recipe and, you know, and and you 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 want to do that? You want to learn about these things and and try to make those changes and see how they how they work out. So, you can you can definitely do that. And again, yeah, English ale yeast like you're saying, or any of the ale yeasts can be a good choice in the style of beer. Would you recommend? Um under pitching at all, just to get more estro production on your yeast? No, I, I never really recommend under pitching. That's something I think you should just you should either choose a different yeast or you know pitch it or change the temperature of fermentation. Right. But you you never really want to stress the yeast because you're you're going to end up with an inconsistent if you well, if you I'm, want to I'm just saying no starter actually
2: just use a vial just that way you get more growth and you get kind of a more ester production a more fruity character to the beer
1: yeah I just wouldn't because you're not you're going to get different levels of attenuation as well okay. and you're, you know, you to change the sweetness and mm. you know the best thing on yeast and fermentation is to to you know have a healthy appropriate pitch of yeast every time. And so you can reproduce it every time. That's the hardest thing to reproduce. Right. Get that dialed in, and then adjust with other things. Hmm. So if you want more ester production, go ahead and use a, a different yeast. Use the English ale yeast, or use something that produces more esters. Right. But still pitch enough. But yeah, pitch yeah. enough, and have a you know. In that way, you also avoid problems with contamination. Mm-hmm. So if you're under pitching, you're you're gonna you know contamination is gonna be more of a problem. You're gonna get more of those off flavors are gonna build up before the yeast finally uh, finishes out or it may not finish out completely and you're going to end up with you know bottles getting sour over time so uh, pitching a proper amount and and fermenting clean is uh, always always important what about fermentation length and the cycle how long would you let your primary go with a good pitch yeast good healthy pitch yeast and good fermentation these will ferment out in you know four or five days i personally just let it sit for 10 days let the yeast uh, reabsorb any diacetyl, uh, convert the uh, acetaldehyde, things like that, mm-hmm. and finish up what they're doing, and fully ferment and flock out, and then I go ahead and keg it. And you don't
0: secondary? No, no,
1: I don't. I don't bother with any of that. It's not really necessary.
0: Not for ales, at least, yeah. Is it specifically not necessary for this beer, or just, I mean, we've talked about this with right, not, before. Right, not for any beer, but, really. But uh, they're just asking specifically about what, you know, if you do a secondary for this one. And no,
1: for no beers. Yeah. Not even lagers? lagers? Uh, no, you know, I, I'll... You don't drop yeah, the yeast off at all? Or? No, I just... Because really? the yeast is there, you know, you need the yeast in there. Right. And, and good for, you know, like four weeks, let the lager finish out, let it finish what it's doing. Then you don't need a diacetyl rest or any of that right. stuff. Okay. Then keg it. And so uh, that's one of the things I I learned long ago was you know the secondary was screwing up my beers, but more than it was helping. I was ending up with acetaldehyde, I was ending up with uh, you know some diacetyl, I was ending up with uh, you know some off flavors, right. all because I was pulling the beer off the yeast and not letting the yeast do what it's supposed to do. Right. Because everybody said, well, at seven days you move it to another container and get it off all that yucky yeast. Well, that yucky yeast is what's making the beer. Mm-hmm. So. I, I stopped screwing with that, and and my beers uh, improved uh, markedly, and I saved myself quite a bit of time that I could, right. you know, yeah, uh, was, you know, just forget um, about it. Yeah. yeah, you don't have, <laughs> to, you know, you don't have to clean the container, you don't have to do all the tubing, you don't, uh, you don't uh, add oxygen to the beer by, you know, transferring from one to the other, and you know, just a lot of different reasons why I stopped doing that, and uh, that really helped. The one time. Are you know the the one style that I think you really need to do the secondary on is meads, hmm. and that's just because you have a, a you have a fairly long process there and you want to get the if some breakdown of the ye- yeast will give you a bit of a nutty character yeah. to the meads which you want right but there's, there's you know a you, you, yeah you don't want too much okay so uh, and meads you know you let them sit in the carboy for a good year right uh, and so is that on the yeast bed? Uh, no, once, once the yeast are pretty much finished, I'll I'll give them a, you know, a couple of months and then, and you get some autolysis of the, the yeast and break down and get a little bit of that nutty and then move it off. Okay. And, uh, that, that helps. So, Mm. all right, after the break, uh, we're going to take some questions and we'll get uh, a little bit more into the process. If you're listening in, uh, feel free to call in, one 41 beer or if you're on the uh, computer there, you can hit the chat now button and chat with them from some other brewers. We'll be right back. Back we're talking about American pale ales. So my recipe for this, I target around a 10.54, uh, 10.53 re- uh, original gravity, and in ten and a half gallons, I'm going for uh, uh, an IBU of around 32. SRM is going to be about 8.7. We're going to go with 18 pounds of uh, pale malt. That can be two-row or it can be uh, the English uh, pale oil malt, which is what I use. I like that just because it gives a little more malt background. I go with about a half pound of Victory malt, a pound of Crystal 20, a pound of Crystal 40, a pound of uh, Light Munich. And for hops, I'll go... Uh, about three quarters of an ounce of Magnum at around uh, 15 IBUs or 15% uh, alpha acid, 60 minutes. Go with an ounce of Cascade, an ounce of Centennial, an ounce of Cascade, an ounce of Centennial, all the way through uh, in 10 minutes and in zero minutes, and uh, maybe a little bit of dry hopping with some Centennial, just like a quarter of an ounce a little later mm-hmm. on. Uh, I always use whirlflock, and I would ferment it with a uh, California ale yeast to make yourself a nice big starter. And ferment in the sixty seven degree range, anywhere between sixty five and uh sixty nine degrees. I target around sixty seven or sixty eight degrees and works out quite nicely. Kind of a balance of uh, you know, fairly clean beer. And uh mash temperature would be one fifty four. Again, I, I like one fifty four, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, she's fun. <laughs> favorite uh on my system, and that's gonna vary for different systems. And um, uh, What about an extract recipe? If you're doing extract, uh, replace that pale malt with uh, an equivalent amount of uh, either a standard ultralight extract or an English pale uh, malt extract. About seven to eight
2: pounds, you think?
1: Yeah, I'd have to do the numbers. uh, And then, um, however, that Munich malt. It needs to be mashed. You can't steep Munich malt. You have to mash it. So if you're going to do that, it's either partial mass or replace that Munich malt with some Munich malt extract. There's a couple of companies that, that sell Munich malt extract. And uh, uh, use some of that. Or you could leave the Munich out and you, you still end up with a real fine beer. All right. So uh, as far as water treatments goes, I don't treat my water for for anything like that. Don't add a bunch of minerals and sulfates and stuff like that to accentuate the hops. You really don't need to. You, you it really makes it a harsher hop than it does. And I, I think you really want to have kind of a more rounded hop bitterness. Mm-hmm. And don't don't add gypsum or anything like that. You know, go with uh, treat your water for acid with lactic acid or whatever you need. In some cases, you're going to need your water so rough, you're going to need to cut it halfway with uh, RO water or distilled water. But other than that, I would not mess with the water too much. Okay. Alright, so we got some questions from the uh, chat room.
0: Yeah, I got quite a few here. Let's see. Uh, The last question that just came through was uh, what you think about Amarillo or Magnum in this style.
1: Magnum is a good clean bittering hop, and and I use that for, for bittering a lot. And and I like it. Amarillo is an excellent uh, all-around hop and makes a, a wonderful flavor and aroma. And go for it. You know, if you can get Amarillo and you want to try it,
0: I, I love that for American style beers. Mm, me too. It's a good one. All right. Uh, you've said before uh, talking about some constant mash temperatures that you use. Um, this question was about um, a the temperature of your rest. And the question was, you know, what about using a higher temperature rest for an American Pale Ale to make a more dextrinous wort in order to balance the hops with a more aggressive body?
1: Well, and you can, and, and there's two ways you can go. You can you can up your mash temp, to get more body, or you can uh, you know increase your grain bill, go to a higher gravity, or you can l- choose a different yeast that has less attenuation. So those are those are three you know kind of sides of the same. Coin you can kind of use any of those they'll have different overall effects but they're similar in certain ways.
0: Okay. And you uh, both you and John actually have talked about the the graces of Maris Otter. You guys both like the Maris Otter. Mm-hmm. Um, so this question was you know do you use domestic two row for an American paleo?
1: I have in the past and I
0: just I,
1: I buy my grain in bulk. And, uh, you know, I get a couple of sacks of uh, Marisotter from uh, More Beer and the the Crisp Maris Marisotter is a cultivar and the different monsters. So I use Crisp Marisotter. Hmm. And I just use it in a, a number of beers. And it's just not worth my time to go and get some, some uh, American two-row.
0: Just because it's an American paleo. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, uh, but... If you're going to buy your grains, you know one one brew at a time or two brews at a time. Yeah, definitely you can you can go with uh, American two row. It gives you a, a different character. So, you know, you're if you want to do more of a Sierra Nevada pale ale, mm-hmm. American
0: two row. If you want to okay. do
1: more of a mirror so, uh, more of a mirror pond something like that, or a more multi uh, beer, you can yeah. go with uh, the Maris
0: That's a great distinction. I don't know how many of you out there have had uh, the mirror pond too, but they are two very different pale ales and I can see what you're talking about in the difference uh, there. And
1: and they may actually use uh you know American two row in that. Right. But the, the, character, the characteristic yeah. is an easy way to get that is to go with the Chris Marasonder or
0: beastons or whoever whatever monster you're using. Okay. Um do chocolate titties go well with American ales Chocolate titties really go well with everything. That's what I would have thought, too. Big yes. uh, titties I, in, why in general. You ask? <laughs> I just uh, I don't shoot the messenger. Uh, okay. I am just delivering the questions from the chat room. Um, yeah, it's, uh, go to our forum if you don't know what we're talking about. It's a lot of fun in there. Uh, okay. Can an American pale ale be dry hopped and still stay within the style guidelines? Yes. Again, you're just monitoring IBUs still, right? Well, well, I guess you don't get IBUs from a dry hop, do you?
1: Right. Well, you get some perception of bitterness, but uh, the overall flavor tends to be a little more resiny and a little more intense. But you know, with with a restrained hand, it can be quite nice. And again, in a competition, I don't know of a judge that would say, "Well, you know, this is dry hopped. What are you doing?" Uh for American pale ale, that's that's fine, you know, it 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 can lend a very nice character to a beer. Okay. Just make everything balanced, you know, balance it out one way or another. You yeah. know, make everything fit.
0: All right, that does it for the questions I've had.
1: What's the next show? The next show I looked at <laughs> I can't recall now. It's uh fruit beer. Fruit beer, that's right. I want to get Mike so McDowell yeah, to come in. Category number 20. Yeah, and, uh, I've brewed a, a few nice fruit beers and, and had good luck with that, and, uh. Do you use extract or actual ruled fruit? Well, that's, you can have two, two weeks from today. <laughs> I like how I let that one <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and we have a lot of secrets on how that's done. That's why I wanted Mike to share one of the secrets that worked out really well for him, uh, last time. It's
0: been it. an interesting topic with our guests that have been in here that do fruit beers, because there really are different ways to do it. Uh, right. Gino, right. for example, from El Toro came in and said he brews his pale ale and adds fruit after the fact. Oh, like yeah. He adds a fruit extract, and that's just one way to do it. Pyramid does that too. Okay, yeah. So that is, that's gonna be that's gonna be good. I don't even like fruit beers, and I think that's gonna be a good show. Well, done done right, they can be
2: really good. So, and then Sean on the other hand. He cuts up watermelon. Yeah, that's and, right.
1: You
0: know, he uses the real thing. In fact, he was telling me he tried to use extract. He bought a bunch of it. it didn't work. And now it's just sitting on a shelf. Well, it <laughs> depends
1: on what kind of fruit you're talking about. Yeah. Some of them, the extract is, works well. Some of them, the extract just is horrible. Mm. All right. So, coming up next is a repeat of the Sunday show. And... uh Tomorrow is uh, the Graham Sanders uh, show, the Oz Craft Brewer Show. It's an excellent show. I really like it. Oh, and I forgot to mention, uh, you know, I really like the Basic Brewing Networks uh, show and James and that show. I think that's excellent as well. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, there's lots of good uh, brewcasting going on out there. Uh, But, uh, you know, of course, this is the best place for it is thebrewingnetwork.com. Cheers, Jamil. See you, John.
0: Jameel Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jameel to jameel at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jameel Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.